Again, if you didn't get notes, we have some in the back that you can follow along to this evening. Um, we're going to start off reading uh, from 1 Timothy, where we, we've read this passage every week as we've gone through this series. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's up on the screen or it's on the front of your notes. It says this, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. So we're in week 10 of a series that we've been going through on Wednesday nights called Training for Godliness. And a few reasons that we train, a reminder of a few reasons that we train. I just want us to be mindful of these as we think about these, as we think about implementing them into our lives, because the main focus is to become more and more like Jesus. But when we train, if we don't have the right mindset, if we're not careful, uh, we can start trying to do these types of things as like this holy to-do list to try to earn God's favor, to try to get on his quote-unquote good list. And when we do those types of things, we can slip into this legalistic mindset of, I have to do these things to earn God's favor. But on the flip side of that, uh, the opposite is also true. That we can say, okay, I'm a Christian. I've accept- Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. I have a promise of eternity with him in heaven. So therefore, I really don't have to do anything. It's not as important. My faith is what's important. So now we become lazy when we think that way. So you can have these two mindsets. If we're careful, uh, they can happen if you are worrying about this list of things to do. Things that we need to work on to train for righteousness. And you can slip into these two mindsets. That's one of the reasons why we decided to do this study and consider uh, what it looks like to train for godliness. And Jerry Bridges has reminded us in his book, Respectable Sins, about what ungodliness looks like. So let's be reminded of that. Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or of one's dependence on God. You can readily see then that someone can lead a respectable life and still be ungodly in the sense that God is essentially irrelevant in his or her life. And so when we strive for godliness, if it's something that we truly want to implement in our life to do things for his will, to do things for his glory, uh, it's important for us to consider these things as we remember as we implement these things in our life and strive for godliness. And so tonight we're talking about leadership. And before I go on, I want to just stress the point that I know some of you have this itching feeling that you need to reach up and turn your brain off because you're like, Corey, I am not a leader. I have never been a leader. So therefore, this sermon is not aimed at me. Some of you are giggling because you have already fought that. I just want to stress to you the importance of what we're going to talk about tonight. And even if you do not consider yourself a leader, uh, please hold on to these truths because I think it's going to make sense. So I went to the dictionary. What does leadership mean? And here's what the definition says. We'll go straight to the dictionary. The action of leading a group of people or an organization. That's what leadership means. So some of you are like, yep, that's what I thought. And that is not me. So I'm just going to turn it off. And I'm not going to listen. And say, I think sometimes we get confused uh, into thinking that leadership is a title. It's a title that someone has. And the truth is it can be. It can be a title that someone does have. 
But leadership isn't necessarily equated with a title or a position. Because if you're like me, I know a lot of people that have the title that are terrible at leadership. Right? Amen. All right. We all know that. And so I think when you think about a title, that doesn't necessarily equate to leadership. I think a lot of people uh, equate leadership with charisma. Uh, with someone who's out front, with someone who's outspoken, that someone who can uh, stand in front of people and talk. That's what a leader might be. Again, I know a lot of people who are really good about being up front, who could stand up and talk in front of people, who have a lot of excitement and a lot of charisma, and they are terrible leaders. And so because you might hold a title, because you may be very charismatic, or you may be a manager, you still may be a bad leader, maybe bad at leadership. A very plain definition of leadership might be, to quote uh, the greatest leadership uh, book writing master, John Maxwell, and he says that leadership is influence. Very simple, very straight to the point, leadership is influence. And as we come to this week on leadership, I don't want you to think that I'm only talking to pastors and elders. We're in the church. I'm not just talking to pastors and elders. I'm not just talking to deacons. I'm not just talking to teachers. If you, as Maxwell says, have any influence whatsoever in another person's life, you are a leader. And... So if you have any type of influence whatsoever... And I'll just tell you straight up front, you all do, okay? You all have influence. You all have influence over someone. Then this sermon is for you. And so uh, if we are wanting to be in a place for God to use us in this life, if we are in a place where uh, we want God to use us, then we have to give thought to how we are to lead and what we need to do to be a better leader. So... Uh, as we have every week, we're going to start with the character of God. So let's look at the character of God. Number one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just like last week, just like the week before, we're starting right there at the beginning of Genesis. Uh, ever since humans were able to look up and gaze into the skies and gaze into the heavens, you know, we have sought answers. What is it? How did it all come to being? When did it all start? And then it eventually leads to the question of who is responsible for it? And luckily, in our Bibles, we have the answer. And this is one of those verses that we teach our Awana kids on Wednesday night. It's one of the very first verses that my son and my daughter both learned at Awana. Uh, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning... God. That's a, that is such a deep theological statement right there at the beginning of the Bible that sometimes we just skim right over and reread over. In the beginning, God. He didn't need anything to create. He spoke it and it happened. And so uh, it is God who gives instructions. It's God who gives instructions to his creation on how they are to lead. And It was God who spoke and things happened. Which leads to our next point. God gives leadership responsibilities and holds those leaders accountable. So first God created. Created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And then he establishes leaders. There's a great story in Matthew 22. You have some of the Pharisees that are coming to Jesus and they want to trick Jesus. So they're coming up with this foolproof plan to, okay, we're going to ask him a simple question, but if he answers it this way, he's a heretic. If he answers it this way, then he's just, he's not, he's unpatriotic and he's, he's not for the Romans over here and he's not for us over here. So either way he answers, we have him duped. And so Jesus pulls out this coin. Matthew 22, and he asked him the question, whose image is on this coin? And they say, well, that's Caesar's. And then he says something very simple. He says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar, 
and give to God what belongs to God. And they kind of walk away confused and they're like, okay, we thought that was a great plan and it just wasn't. And with this statement, we also see in Romans chapter 13, you can see that in your notes, that we see that it is God who establishes governments. It is God who sets them all up. But it's also God who holds them accountable in the way that they live. So flip over to Romans chapter 13. And let's see what Paul says to those in leadership positions. Because I think it's in Paul's explanation here, as we just talked about in Matthew chapter 22, they kind of go hand in hand. Romans chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear with one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. Remember, this is talking about authorities. Whether you like them or not. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of uh, of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers to God, attending to this very thing. So there's no authority but to God. There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. From the creation of the earth until today. Uh, regardless if your candidate wins a presidential election, it does not catch God off guard. He's not surprised if your candidate wins or loses. All of those authorities are established by God. What God's Word says, right? And so everyone who has ever been in a place of leadership has done has been there and done so by the power and authority of God Almighty. And I think that's very hard for us to comprehend sometimes. Some have been evil, and they've been used by God. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. Think about other people who have been used by God. And ultimately, we just talked about some Pharisees trying to dupe Jesus. They What they meant for evil, God uses, right? This past week in Sunday school, we talked about Judas. One of the 12 disciples, very evil in his intention to get Jesus arrested. But guess what? He was established by God. And he was used by God. And so, God leads to do his will. He establishes those in leadership positions. Well, let's look at the nature of sin. Because we have rebelled against our Creator. You do not have to look very far in the Bible to find any types of story about how we have rebelled against God. We turn and do things our own way. Uh, In Numbers chapter 14, God's chosen people uh, challenge God's plan. They're at the forefront of going into the promised land. And they look at their situation and they say, This is impossible to do what God has called them to do. And how do they respond? Here's how they respond. Well, let's elect another leader that can take us back to Egypt. Forget God's plan. Forget the leader that God has established for us. Let's elect a new one so that he can take us back into slavery. Great idea. All right? Deuteronomy chapter 1. You have God leading his people, providing for his people over and over and over, and they continually turn their back on him. Um, they rebel against their creator. They chose to do things. Uh, they choose to do things their own way. Uh, when you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, 
Adam trusted the serpent over God. Adam trusted his wife rather than what God had told him to. We do things our own way. We rebel against our creator. And next, we have rebelled against the leaders God has sent to govern us. We've rebelled against the leaders that God has sent to govern us. Not only do we rebel against our creator, against creator God, but we rebel against those that he has set up in power over us. In the book of Acts, Stephen uh, was confronting the religious leaders of his day. Uh, And from this passage in Acts chapter 7, he's quoting... It's amazing how many different books he is quoting in his speech. He quotes from Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Proclaiming, like they had all proclaimed in their books, that God's people had rejected God's messengers, had done things their own way, and ultimately they were rejecting God himself. And so this is what he says at the end of this speech, right before ultimately he gets killed, he gets martyred. He says this, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, talking about Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. I love it. You stiff-necked people. You resist the Holy Spirit. You killed God's messengers. You know, it's hard not to read a verse like that. Even though that was thousands of years ago and not think about our world today. I want you to consider our world that we live in today. The things that we face, the challenges that are dividing our country, the controversial issues, the movements across our country, the wokeness, as we like to call it, fundamentally down to the core. When you think about it, it's a rejection of authority. It's a rejection of God's authority. It's a rejection against how he has set things up to go in the world. It's a rejection of authority. It's the same sin that has been going on for thousands of years. With God's people, without God's people, they are rejecting how God had established these things. And in the same way God's people rejected the authority throughout all of its history, it's no different for us today. In our fallen world, we reject authority. But then, thank goodness we have uh, Jesus. And let's look at the work of Jesus. So Maxwell tells us that leadership is influence. When you see Jesus step onto the scene, when you see Jesus start his earthly ministry, uh, thousands followed him. To say that he had influence would be an understatement. He had great influence. But if you are to take a broad look at his life, you see thousands following him, teaching thousands of people, Feeding thousands of people. But if you look at who Jesus led, it's a very small group of people. That's your next blank. Jesus taught the masses, but he led a smaller group of people. If you look at his life, if you look at who he invested in, who he poured his life into, it was a smaller group. And I think it's a great example for us. As we think about those who we have influence over in our lives. When you think about the places of leadership that God has placed you into. Whether it be your work. Whether it be at church. Whether it be in your home. God has placed you in a place of influence for a reason. Smaller groups of people. You know, the Bible tells us, me and my wife talk about this all the time. The Bible tells us to go make disciples of all nations. That has to start in your home. We have to start by making disciples within the very walls of our house. It starts with your children. It starts with your family, whether immediate or right outside of it. It starts with those that we have influence over. Who are you impacting deeply? I want you to think about that. Jesus had a small group of people that he poured into. 
But it was even dwindled down to three besties, right? Jesus had three besties, Peter, James, and John. And he used his influence to pour into those that he would, uh, who would eventually be responsible for spreading the gospel into the world. He had influence over the masses, but he led a small group of people. And when you think about leadership, take, take the opportunities that God has given you. The smaller groups of people that God has given you influence over. And use that influence to make an impact for the kingdom. Next, Jesus shows us a new way of leadership and service. Without a doubt, Jesus was the greatest person to ever step foot on the earth. Uh, He was the greatest leader to ever step foot on the earth. Uh, But more than a great leader, Jesus was a humble servant. And he wanted to show us that. He wanted to show us a new way of leadership. In Mark chapter 10, James and John come up to Jesus and they ask him for a favor. They say, uh, hey, we want to be, when you come into your kingdom, uh, we want to be thought of in a great way. And we want to be on your right and your left. So put one of us on your right, one of us on your left. We want to be right there with you. And Jesus kind of talks to him for a minute. He goes, are are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized like I'm I'm baptized? And them not understanding fully what Jesus was saying. They said, yeah, yeah, we're good. And Jesus tells them, okay, this is not for me to grant to you. It's not something that is my choice to make for you. It's not something I want to give to you right now. That belongs to God. And we know that the other disciples kind of get frustrated with them because they probably know it's them too, right? They probably know it's those two guys. But I want you to listen how Jesus responds to them in Mark chapter 10. This is up on the screen. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And here Jesus, in this moment, is pointing the disciples to the sacrifice that he would make. Ultimately, on the cross. That is his mission. That is why Jesus had come. That was God's plan. A ransom was to be paid for the sins of the world. That was his purpose in coming. It was what was required. A sinless sacrifice. And so, this new way of leadership he was showing his disciples... Came not to be served, but to serve. He was giving them a great example of how they were to live their lives. Because Jesus lived a sinless life that we were unable to. Because he was able to pay the penalty for death that we deserved. Raising from the dead on the third day, he gives us hope to have a relationship with the Father again. We have hope through the humble act of service that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And as Philippians 2 tells us, he considered us more important than himself. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that, Galatians 4, we can be adopted into his family. He did that so that we could have life. He did that so that we could have hope. And he shows us a new type of leadership that we are called to. He calls us to this new way of leadership to put others first. To put yourself last. You know, and I've said this before. Uh, we always tell our children this. If you want to have true joy in your life, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Joy, right? That's a typical Baptist thing. You make a little acrostic, eh, it's so great. But it's true. It stuck with me through a VBS that I went to as a kid, and I still have taught it to my children, and they get it. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. It's a great way to have that. And it's a new way of leadership that Jesus models for his people. So let's look at the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads people to the truth about Jesus and salvation. 
God establishes his role of the sovereign Lord over all creation. Jesus uh, comes and shows us a new way of leading. And the Holy Spirit comes and wants nothing more than to be a helper for us in, in these days. In times of difficult, in difficult times. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we talked about the Holy Spirit being our helper. Um, but he also wants to point us to Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do more than anything. Uh, John 14, 26, it's on the screen, says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And Jesus is telling them, everything that I've been telling you, um, the Holy Spirit's going to help you remember. All these things that I'm teaching you that you really don't understand right now, the Holy Spirit's going to let it make sense to you. And these things will. Um, he also says in chapter 16, starting in verse 13, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, this is Jesus speaking, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, to lead God's people, to lead God's people to Jesus. He takes out our heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. He opens our eyes and our ears to be able to hear and understand the truths of what God tells us. That is what the Holy Spirit comes to lead people to the truth about Jesus and salvation. Next, the Holy Spirit gives leaders to the church and equips them for service. Another role of the Holy Spirit is to lead and equip people in service for the church, in the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, it's talking about unity within the body. Unity within the church. Uh, and Paul tells the church in Ephesus that this unity is based on the truth of God. That this unity is based on the work of salvation that was accomplished by Jesus. Uh, and he's saying, and he even says in verse 3 that we, they would have unity in the Spirit. So the Spirit of God would bring unity to them. And so one of the ways to have unity when the, within the church was, to, was the establishment of leaders within the church. And the Holy Spirit would help to establish these leaders. Uh, in verse 11 he says this, And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. And he goes on, rather we're speaking truth and love. We grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ. And we do that because the Spirit leads us to do that. So the Holy Spirit, wanting us to become more and more like Jesus, he equips the church, he establishes leaders within the church and, um, so that it may grow, so that it builds itself up in love. You know, there was a very popular song that came out when I was a youth pastor way back in the day. It was by an artist named Lecrae. Now, before any of you go to Spotify or any other place and look this song up, I will warn you that this is a rap song. So, I just want you to hear the truth of the chorus without trying to understand when they sing it. Because youth understand it, um, older people don't. So... I'm in that category now, so I can say that. All right, here we go. It was a song called Authority, and here's what it says. The chorus goes like this. If you can't follow, you can never lead. You don't run a thing until you're running to the king. And who, and who I follow is who they follow when they follow me. It says a real man bows down to authority. And when you think about the gospel, when you think about God and his holiness... Setting forth a plan to redeem his people from their sin. Uh, like this song is saying, 
And like Jesus was telling his followers, followers, if you want to be the greatest leader, right, you look to our greatest example. And that's when someone's following Christ. And he tells his disciples, if you want to be first, you need to be last. If you want to be the greatest, you must be the servant to all. And so uh, that's the work of the Trinity, uh, the Trinity as we talk about leadership. So let's look at training for leadership. And tonight as we talk about how to implement these things in our life, when we think about leadership in our own life, we're going to end by looking at Joshua. Joshua in the Old Testament. It's hard for me to think of, uh, if I think of the top five leaders in the entire Bible, I think Joshua definitely makes my top three. And uh, Joshua was a man's man. Uh, I think if there was any person in the Bible, and yes, this includes Samson, that I would not want to fight, um, Joshua would be on the top of the list. Uh, this is, he was the man's man. He won and fought in many battles. And uh, we're going to see how he was dedicated to the Lord and, and followed the Lord, uh, followed God. And it, it's an amazing uh, thing to look at his life and to see how God used him in so many different ways. So God's people are being led up to the promised land. And because of Moses' disobedience to the Lord, um, God informs Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. I'll let you look. I'll let you see the promised land. But I am going to use Joshua to go into the promised land. But there's some things that happened in Joshua's life leading up to that moment that truly changed the trajectory of Joshua's life to allow him to be the leader that God had called him to be. And we're going to look at a few of those things tonight. Now, a lot of these points, all of these points that I'm going to share with you, I took straight out of the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. And I thought they were excellent, so I was like, I'm just going to steal them. And so now that I'm saying it, it's all legal. It's all good. Right, here we go. Number one, leaders have a commitment to prayer. Leaders must have a commitment to prayer. In Exodus chapter 17, the Amalekites, uh, God's people have come out of Egypt. And the Amalekites uh, come and they attack God's people, they come and attack the nation of Israel. And as a result of that attack, Moses commanded Joshua to go and assemble the army and to go and fight and to go and fight against the Amalekites. And the following day, Moses stood up on the mountaintop and he raised his arms. And when he raised his arms during this battle, God's people were winning the battle. When he got tired and he lowered his arms, they would lose the battle. They were losing in battle. And so uh, they got uh, a couple of guys to come up and hold Moses' arms up. And eventually, uh, God, God's uh, people conquer. They beat the Amalekites. And so, but something amazing happened um, during that battle. Something that you don't really see in that. And it's that Joshua's leading the armies of the battle. And as he is fighting in this battle and watching what's, ha what's happening, uh, he begins to realize that the real power in the battle is not with the sword, but the real power was with God. He realizes what's going on. He hears the stories after the fact. Man, I won't believe this. We were lifting his arms up and y'all were, we were, were winning. When he got tired and his arms were down, y'all were losing. So we had to hold his arms up. And God gave the victory. And you have to think that every battle that Joshua would fight going into the promised land, that had to have been on the back of his mind. I'm not going into this battle without God. We're going with God. Because he realized that the real power was with God. Kent Hughes said this, No one attains true spiritual leadership who thinks it's his power is his own. Or that past victories are due to his own genius. No true spiritual leader is conceited like that. Joshua learned that the heart of every leader 
is someone who has an open communication with God. Who's someone who trusts God. Who's someone that realizes that it was God who's going to give him the victory. So he started his battles with prayer. And so should we. So how is your communication with God? Next, leaders have a healthy view of God. Leaders have a healthy view of God. Joshua, along with a group of men, were called up to the mountain with uh, to the mountaintop with Moses uh, to receive the law, to receive the Ten Commandments. And after they were up on the mountain a, a little ways and seeing a vision of the glory of God, the Bible tells us that seventy elders stayed behind, and Moses and Joshua continued on. And as Joshua and Moses continue on, here uh, Joshua. Uh, with Moses for six days, and then a cloud covered Sinai. But on the seventh day, Moses goes on alone. And he's up there for 40 days. I want you to think about that. Joshua is on the mountain. God's presence is there for 40 days by himself. And he's there. Imagine what's going through his mind. Imagine the things that he sees. Imagine the things that he experiences in his life, spiritually. Joshua left with a deep sense of who God was, who God is. For a leader, we must have a healthy view of God. When you look at stories in the Bible, you think about Moses on the mountaintop. I mean, he literally comes off the mountain glowing. He had a good... A moment with God there. Think about jo, uh, Joshua when he encounters the commander of the armies before heading into battle in Jericho. That w- must have been a very powerful moment. Think about David standing before Goliath when the entire army behind him is shaking in their armor and a shepherd boy has the courage to stand before him and go, you're not talking about my God like that. Changes his view of God, right? Think about Isaiah when he has a vision of the throne room of God. How that must have impacted his life. We Think about Peter, James, and John when they see Jesus transfigured in front of them. They had a different view of God. Their view of God was changed and their leadership was impacted moving forward in their life. I know you may be thinking, well, Corey, uh, I've not had a moment like that. I've not ever had a moment like that. I've never had God come down and meet me on a mountaintop like that. But I would argue with you, oh, yes, you have. Because as Psalm 19 tells us, it's on the screen, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night and night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Look at creation. Read the Bible. Enlarge your view of God. Drive down to Marfa and just look up. The heavens declare the glory of God. Do anything and everything that you can in your life to enlarge your view of God. I think sometimes we... We put God in this little compartmental thing and we bring him to church and that's the only time we really encounter him and we have a very small view of God. And if you truly want to be a leader used by God, to be a servant used by God, you have to have a different view of God than most people have. A deeper view of God. A leader must have a healthy view of who God is. Next, leaders are growing in their devotion to God. There's a great story in Exodus 33 when they are serving in the tabernacle and a pillar of cloud uh, would be above the tent. And verse 11 tells us that thus says the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I want you to think about that. Though Joshua did not speak to God face to face like Moses did, he was so overwhelmed with the presence of God 
that he would not leave the tabernacle. I'm, I'm not leaving. I don't want to miss a thing. His devotion was so grounded in who God was. Such a deep connection. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to miss anything. Think about Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago. She opens up an expensive jar of of ointment to wash Jesus' feet. Uh, This was the same Mary that we see in Luke chapter 10 who was being rebuked for sitting at Jesus' feet when she needed to be helping. And Jesus tells them, what she is doing is beautiful because she had a deep devotion to Jesus. And Joshua has a deep devotion to God. Kent Hughes says this, true spiritual leadership is born for devotion and demands to be closer with God. I want you to think about the greatest spiritual leaders that you can think of in your life. I would be willing to bet the greatest spiritual leaders that any of you could think of I would be willing to bet that you would say about them that they had a high priority and a high devotion to God. Spending time with Him, spending time in His Word, worshiping Him alone or with people. They had a deep devotion to God. Next, leaders have faith that is greater than their doubts. Leaders have faith that is greater than their doubts. I think one of the things that probably impacted Joshua in a life-changing way was when Moses gathered the 12 spies, one from every tribe from the nation, and he gathers them together, and he's going to send them into the land of Canaan to spy out the land, uh, to let them know all the details of what they find. And they go into the land for 40 days, and when they return, the 12 spies agree On many things. They agree that the land is beautiful. They agree that uh, the land was bountiful. That the fruit was amazing. I mean, large fruit. Bigger fruit than they've ever encountered there, right? However, 10 of the 12 spies came back to Moses. And they reported that we are unable to take the land. One, because the cities are well fortified. And two, because there are giants in the land. And we just don't think that we can do it. Except for two guys. Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb looked at Moses and says, Nope, this can be done. As a matter of fact, uh, they literally say it's going to be a piece of cake. Numbers 14.9 says, Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. Sounds like a piece of cake to me, right? So Joshua and Caleb said, Now, we got this. If the Lord is on our side. And you think about Joshua has to have this in the back of his mind. If God could give us victory over the Amalekites just because Moses raised his arms, surely this would be a piece of bread. We got this. We can do this. All they had to do is move. All they had to do is go. All they had to do is trust and obey. And not fear the people of the land. And we know the story. The ten won the argument. They chose not to go into the land. And God will leave them to wander in the wilderness. They didn't get to go in. And because of that, all of that generation will die off in the wilderness. And only Joshua and Caleb are allowed to go in later, years down the road. We get to that moment. What do we learn from that story as a leader? The majority is not always right. That is good for us to hear in our world today. The majority is not always right. Good leaders have faith in God. Uh, They take a stand when others around them doubt. Joshua and Caleb stood alone. It did not change their opinion. The majority did not impact what they believed God could could do. They had faith in God and believed that God would do exactly what he said he would do. You can read Hebrews chapter 11. This is known as the hall of faith. 
that it's often called. And over and over again, you will see heroes of the faith that believed God before men, that trusted God before men. And that's what they did. They believed God. And because of their faith, they were able to lead uh, when called upon. Next, leaders are led by the Holy Spirit. After 40 years of wandering, God's people came to the plains of Moab. Uh, Numbers 26, uh, 65 says that not one of them was left except for Caleb and Joshua. And so they're about to head into the promised land and it was time for Joshua's commissioning. He tells Moses, uh, he says this in verse 18. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. I want you to notice the capital S there. The Holy Spirit was on upon Joshua. He was led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Oswald Sanders, excuse me, Oswald Sanders says this. There is no such thing as a self-made spiritual leader pretty good statement there's no such thing as a self-made spiritual leader it's the work of the spirit inside of someone being led by the holy spirit saying yes to the holy spirit and that is why joshua was able to lead well because the spirit of the lord was with him and the spirit of the lord led him to do the things that he would accomplish and the new testament agrees if you look in acts chapter 6 uh, when they were gathering leaders to build the church, it says this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they say pleased the whole uh, gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides people, guides leaders to lead equips leaders to lead. And if you want to lead in your home, if you want to lead in your church, if you want to lead in your workplace in a God-honoring way, it takes the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's something that all of these biblical leaders possess, but it takes a continued effort on our part as well. When it when I say that, I'm talking about confessing sin. I'm talking about keeping ourselves grounded by the word of God, uh, submitting to God, praying to God, continually asking the spirit to fill us and to lead us, walking with the Lord. That's what I'm talking about in those things. Lastly, last one, leaders are expendable. Leaders are expendable. I know we've been talking a lot about Joshua uh, and what a great example he was. What an amazing leader that he will turn out to be. However, Moses was the greatest spiritual leader Israel ever had. Greater than Joshua. And the transition from Moses to Joshua must have been a very difficult one for the people. I love this time of year because I love watching football. I've, noted, I've said this to you many weeks, right? I always have to bring up football every time I preach, but... Uh, I like playing fantasy football. I was getting to a place where I did not like NFL football. But when fantasy football started, it gave me something to cheer for. Individuals on teams rather than a team. Because I can't have anything to cheer for for the Cowboys. So we'll just leave that where it's at. <laughs> However, in my fantasy football leagues that I oversee, I do one thing different. I always start my playoffs two weeks earlier than what most people do. Because at the end of most fantasy leagues, you will have teams. Uh, it gets to the end of the season, playoffs start. And what will happen inevitably is if you're in the final four teams before the championship, you will have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes on your team who's good for 30, 35 points every week. You're like, this is money. But one thing happens at the end of a season. Coaches get this brilliant idea that we really don't need to win, so therefore I'm going to bench all of my starters. 
they could care less about my fantasy team. And it's terrible. It's, it's, it's the worst, right? Because second string is not as good as the first string, right? And so maybe they only play for a half. They only get you half the points that they normally do. And you lose and it's just the worst thing ever. So why do I tell you that? Because it's a good thing for leaders to be reminded of. You're like, what do you mean? You're expendable. God doesn't need you. I know some of us get very proudful and we think, eh, man, I'm kind of important. God didn't need Moses. God didn't need Joshua. And God chose to use Moses. But when his time was over, he raised up Joshua. May not have been the, he may not have been as good as Moses, but guess what? Next man up. God used Joshua. Guess what? Joshua's time came to an end. He raised up someone else. And he raised up someone else. And a leader after him. And even if he runs out of people to use, guess what? He can make a donkey speak his truth if he needs to. He can. And I think it's, good, it's important for us to realize the fact that we are expendable. God does not need to use us. Uh, what an amazing joy it is that God chooses to use us, though. He chooses to use us. What an amazing thing that He guides us, that He grows, uh, he grows us closer to Himself. What an amazing thing that He chooses to use us to, uh, to spread His gospel around the world. He doesn't need us, but He chooses to use us because He loves us and He cares for us. And we must take that call seriously. If God has placed the Spirit within you, He wants you to use your influence to draw people to Jesus Christ. He wants you to tell people about Jesus Christ. And we must take that seriously. Whether it's in our homes, whether it's at work, whether it's at church. If you want to be a leader, and this is just going over the list we just talked about. You have to commit to prayer. You must have a healthy view of God. You must grow in your devotion to God. Have faith that will stand when others around you don't. And we have to realize that we're expendable. We're led by the Holy Spirit, but we have to realize that we're expendable. God is the one who grows us. God is the one that uses us. And hopefully, when we come to the end of our service to Him, we can hear, uh, like the Master told the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray this evening. Lord, we thank you uh, for choosing us. Even in our sinful nature, even when we rebelled against you, even when we did things in our own way, you still made a way for us to have a relationship with you. We thank you for Jesus and the leadership example that he, was, that he is to us, uh, for showing us a new way to lead to put others ahead of ourselves. And I pray that you would just help us to become more like your son. Uh, use us in this world to point people to you. Help us to take a stand on the truths and to lead on the truth of your word and to lead in a manner that brings uh, you honor and in a manner that brings you glory. And we ask these things all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.